With a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George, welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. And uh, Trudy Clausen is supposed to be starting her Thursday full hour show this week, but I don't know. She's not here yet, so uh, she does have... Uh, uh, guests lined up for later in the hour, so hopefully she will uh, be here by the time uh, we have the guests on. Otherwise, I'll be making up questions as we go. Uh, in the meantime, we can fill, uh, Stephen is on the board, and uh, how are your Leafs doing? Um, absolutely wonderful. Yeah, I know. It's... With, and without Matthews. I know. What... And without Muslim. Who? Muslim. Oh, Muslim, right? Well, he's been out for a while. Well, no, he went out again, so. Oh, okay. And he came just, back and now he's out. It's just an illness and it's undisclosed. Meanwhile, the Vancouver Canucks lost a very important point against Ottawa. Yeah. What the heck's that all about? Wow. So, they're, hey, uh. That's one of the toughest teams to play. Yeah. Uh, well, they're down to almost a must-win situation. I'll let you get the phone because that might be uh, Trudy calling in to uh, explain what's going on. Uh, we should mention a few other things going on. The uh, Prince George Spruce Kings losing out four straight to the Penticton Vs. Penticton, very strong team this year, so not a real surprise. A little disappointing that they didn't at least get a uh, point or two or, or a win or two out of that uh, that round. But... Uh, the Cougars, meanwhile, they're gearing up for their first round series starting Friday. They are in Portland and the Winterhawks, they have, uh, uh, the former Spruce Kings goaltender, uh, Gauthier. I'm not answering that. That's your crazy lady. Oh, okay. Well, we'll just let her go to the uh, recording then. Um, yeah, against, uh, uh, former Spruce King goaltender Gauthier in net and, um, uh, uh, I think Boy, that'll. I bet you he wants to prove himself. Not well, really. well, he doesn't really have to prove himself. Really, I mean, but... he he's one of the top goaltenders in the WHL right now. So, uh, but I think that'll make it a lot tougher. Uh, uh, Portland didn't finish top of the West, but with Go- they they got Gauthier at the trade deadline, and, and that certainly improved uh, the team. Uh, you know, right across the board, having a solid netminder and, oh, and backing him up. So, uh, yeah, I. I I don't know if the Cougars are going to be able to pull off any wins in that series. Oh, but I don't think so. Who knows? We'll have to just wait and see. Well, that's the playoffs why. is all about a goaltender. That's right. And that's, well, uh, Cougars have a couple of good young goalies. So who knows? It might, uh, might be very low scoring series. Fingers crossed. Anyway. Anyway. So uh, I don't know if you've heard the news about uh, uh, football in Prince George. The Northern, or the the um, uh, Prince George Kodiaks Football Club, uh, they are part of. I just have to find the name of the league here. Uh, it, no, 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 no. I've read this a few times. There, there it is. Uh, they are the seventh franchise in the popular British Columbia Football Conference. So this is uh, junior football, I guess, at its best in Canada. And uh, we'll have to see what happens uh, with the uh, Kodiaks as they're uh, new to this. And uh, they're getting a lot of backing. There's uh, Bank and Roy Nat Capital have come on board as uh, title sponsors for the second annual uh, golf tournament for the Kodiaks. And they are uh, doing that at the Prince George Golf and Curling Club uh, May 26th for this uh, fundraising 
uh, golf tournament. And if you want to get involved in the golf tournament, you can uh, uh, register or get more information from uh, Craig Briere. That's the president of the Kodiaks. And uh, his email is cbriere, Briere spelled B-R-I-E-R-E, mm-hmm. at ca. You know, in radio, I, I really wish they would have just a link to a website that you could put because you explain that and people are going, oh, what's that address again? Give me a pen and try and write it down sure. and remember what you saw, talked about. But anyway, that's uh, that's going on. And the other part, the big news they had about the Kodiaks is our friends over at Patterson Broadcasting are actually going to be broadcasting all of all the, the games, game. home and away. So, so that's kind of cool. Well, I'm surprised it took so long, like, for what? The football league. Well, um, yeah, I mean, it's Well, just, really. I mean, uh, the only one I remember back when, when there was actually men involved in playing football, it was flag. Oh, well, in town here. Yeah. Well, the thing is, uh, football has always been kind of a, a school sport, uh, is you know in the U.S. Yeah. but also in Canada, uh, uh, university football is fairly popular. Um, I don't think that's one of the sports UNBC has been looking at at all. Mm-hmm. But at some point, you know, and with this uh, junior football, that'll probably kind of kibosh the thought, thoughts of doing maybe it could. But yeah, it's one of those things that you. You just don't know what uh, mm. what's going to happen long term, but uh, oh, all the games, of course, will be played at uh, Massage Place Stadium. So that'll oh, be we, great use of the guest. of the renovated uh, stadium. And uh, uh, Trudy just walked in the door, so <laughs> we'll we'll fill out a few more minutes here before we go to break and let Trudy come in. And uh, she does a Thursday morning. She does a, uh, a I breakfast. Know, I know she looks puzzled and. And, uh, yeah, she's talking with the uh, first guest here as they get ready to come come on. Anyway, uh, let's pass along a couple other things that are happening. Actually, coming up this Sunday, coming up this Sunday is the uh, Memorial for All Victims of War. And uh, that is going to be taking place at St. Michael and All Angels Church uh, on 5th and Victoria. So uh, that's 3 o'clock Sunday afternoon. You can join them for prayer, music, song, and dance, all in memory of all victims of war. I think this is part of a lot of things that are going on because of what's happening in Ukraine. Yeah, I wonder who's going to pick up the tab on that, Nord, though. Hmm? Are you talking about the thing back east? What? What you've just... I was talking about the memorial for all victims of war. Oh, I thought you were talking about the tour to... The what, who? The, the Newfoundland thing. What Newfoundland oh, thing? Never mind. You, you have to fill me in. If you're talking about something outside of Prince George, you'll have to fill oh, me in, because I, I very... Yeah, it's hard keeping up with what's going on in Prince George half the time. Half so, the time, yeah. Yeah. So, um, oh, and the uh, Prince George Public Library is going to be hosting their first... Well, the... Friends of the Prince George Public Library going to be hosting their first book sale since the pandemic. And it's changed up a little bit. They used to do uh, Friday, Saturday with Friday only for members okay. of the uh, Friends of the Prince George Public Library. But with the pandemic, 
their membership kind of dropped off. Oh, so so they're doing uh, it uh, both Friday and Saturday are open to everyone, and uh, uh, people are encouraged to stop by and and get their membership in the uh, society. So Friday will be from ten to five thirty. Saturday from ten to three. And uh, both days at the uh, main branch in the Bob Harkins, uh, Bob Harkins room, or sorry, not the Bob Harkins, Bob Harkins branch of the Prince George Public Library. They usually hold it in the, is it Keith Gordon room or, yeah, Keith Gordon room. Yeah, well, yeah, plenty of books. They they always have a ton of books. And what that is, is uh, uh, I, I think, oh, I think there's donations as well. Anyway, uh, mainly it's, it's, uh, uh, moving on, uh, getting rid of older stock books from the library because they only have so much shelf space, right? Mm-hmm. So at some point you, you look at a book that nobody's booked out in years in and it's years, like, well, no, okay, yeah. well, it's time to move that one out and bring something else <clears> in. So that's a good thing to take in Friday and Saturday at the library. What else is happening? It's snowing. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Is this the first day of spring? No. 21st? No, no. Last month. Oh, last month. Yeah. I got to catch up. Yeah. it's uh, We've been about uh, 5 to 10, gre- 10 degrees colder than normal the last few weeks. Oh, I agree. And, uh, yeah, yesterday was... Uh, yeesh. And a lot of north wind. A day before yesterday. Oh, was a lot yeesh. of north Oof. Yeah, but it's supposed to warm up uh, heading into the weekend, and we'll get up to highs around 15. 15. Ooh, that's yeah. bombing. That'll, that's that's spring. And, of course, then once it warms up that much, instead of the snow, we'll get April showers. Oh, and many of them. And you know what uh, uh, April showers bring? Mayflowers. And you know what Mayflowers bring? Bumblebees? No. Pilgrims. <laughs> I you. <laughs> <laughs> I use that joke every year, and it uh, really points yeah. out points out how old people are uh, just on the response. You laughed because you understand. Mayflowers yeah. bring pilgrims. Uh, younger generations, they no. look at you and go, "What do you mean? <laughs> I don't get it." Get it? Because uh, when we were kids, we learned that the pilgrims came over on the Mayflower. Mayflower. Exactly. Yeah, but they, I guess they don't teach that anymore. <laughs> oh, well. <clears throat> uh, other things happening. Uh, Prince George Council of Seniors, actually the Heart Pioneer Center, has their uh, annual general meeting coming up, and that will be taking place on Thursday, April 28th. So next Thursday, one thirty, And it's, uh, of course, AGM is always very important to uh, elect the uh, officers uh, the president, first vice president, second vice president, treasurer, secretary, directors. And a lot of these organizations, uh, have kind of lost traction, I guess, during the pandemic. And now everything's gearing up. Gearing so up again, very yeah. important that people get out and, uh, support the Heart Pioneer Center, uh, for their AGM to, uh, help move forward. And I, I would imagine that is taking place at the center next Thursday at 1.30. Okay, so we're uh, well enough into this show. We can take a quick break, and then we'll get uh, Trudy in here with her first guest uh, in a moment here on After 9. 
Give your morning a boost with some sounds from above with Songs in the Chapel Sunday mornings at 9 on 93.1 CFISFM. Join me, Corey Walker, as I fill the airwaves with the sounds of heavenly gospel music. I feature a mixture of traditional country, bluegrass, southern, and black gospel, and even a little bit of worship and contemporary Christian music. An inspiring message from the Salvation Army's Heartbeat series is featured in every show. A Songs in the Chapel Sunday mornings at 9, only here on 93.1 CFISFM. Are you thinking of selling your business? It's Dave Fuller here a business coach, and a business broker living right here in Prince George. The challenge of being a business owner is that much of our retirement funds are often tied up in the business. If you are getting ready to retire and sell your business, give me a call, 250-617-7467, and we can talk confidentially about how much your business might be worth and how you might be able to get that money out of the business and into your pocket. Again, Dave Fuller, 250-617-7467, or check out our website, pivotleader.com. At Pivot Leader, we help you grow, train, and sell your business. Learn to love your smile again at Der Denture Center. Der Denture Center offers a full range of denture services from partial dentures to complete dentures. Same-day repairs are also available. Der Denture Center is located on the third floor of the Victoria Medical Building with easy elevator access. Come in for a free complimentary consultation. No referral required. For help with your existing set or if you need new, Der Denture Center in the Victoria Medical Building. Call 250-562-6638. Forecast from Environment Canada, mainly cloudy today, a 40% chance of flurries this morning, clearing this afternoon, wind up to 15K and a high of 10. Clear tonight, more wind and a low of minus 4. For Friday, sunny, becoming a mix of sun and cloud late in the morning, winds continuing, a high of 12 with a morning wind chill to minus 5. You're listening to After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. Good morning. I guess I'm just slowly trying to crawl out from under the bus. Uh, <laughs> uh, so sorry. I, I don't know what I did with my schedule here. Um, but anyway, here I am and very pleased that my guest actually showed up early and is willing to come on early according to the time I'd given him. Uh, my guest today is Jeff Payne, uh, new president of UNBC. Jeff, welcome. Good morning. Yeah, happy to be here. All right. So um, let's start off with you just introducing yourself. I know you've been at the university for a few years, um, at least. Yeah. But So maybe if you can tell us your story. Sure. Uh, 2004, uh, I came out and was the first faculty hired with the Northern Medical Program and came as an assistant professor, uh, sort of my first job after uh, finishing my education. And... Um, Spent most of my early years at UMBC with the medical school of a number of different roles, including being a faculty member, getting involved in administration. And then in 2015, I came over as the vice president of research at UMBC. And then in February of 2020, I took on the role of interim president of UMBC. And as of April 4th, 2022, I am now officially the president of UMBC. Okay. All right. Gosh, 2004. That was when the beginning, the medical program, hey? I remember uh, my family was at, or me and my kids probably, were at the rally at CN, what is now CN Center, um, and, and and one of my kids actually made the, the paper picture because he was so cute. <laughs> <laughs> and interestingly is now in in uh, in healthcare. Oh, very good. Yes. Yes. Um, okay, so... Um, what, what about your background, like your family background? Are you from... Yeah, so I was born in, in the UK... Mm-hmm. Uh, in the south of England. Uh, my dad was 
doing his education at the time. And so I was born uh, in, in a little uh, small uh, place called Dorchester in the south of England. Should have been born in Belfast in Northern Ireland. That's where all my family is from. And then, interestingly enough, um, my dad got an opportunity to come over and work in Newfoundland with the Department of Fisheries and, and Oceans. He was a fish geneticist. Oh. And uh, he was recruited by Art May, who went on then to be the president of Memorial University. And during my father's sort of work, uh, the medical school was, was starting at, uh, at Memorial University, funny enough. And uh, he ended up going up and being one of the sort of the first faculty with the Memorial's medical school in the in sort of the late 70s. And so I grew up in, in St. John's and uh, did all of my education at Memorial University, finished my Ph.D. there, and then went off to the U.S. for uh, a few years. And then the opportunity to to come to UMBC and come to Prince George. It's a really funny story. We talk about forks in the road and mm-hmm. why 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 certain things happen on that day that sort of transforms your life or sets you off on a new sort of path. So you weren't in like Newfoundland dreaming of coming to Prince George? No, I mean, Prince George wasn't even on my radar. So I'd left Newfoundland in, in 2001, went to Connecticut, was uh, was doing, finishing off after my uh, PhD, was doing postdoctoral work there. And um, I was just waiting for something to happen in, 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 in the lab one day. I'm a v- vascular physiologist by training. Uh, and uh, I got onto the website for UMBC. I don't know how. I don't know why. I don't know why I pushed the button that day. It's, you know, one of those, as I said, forks in the road. And the only thing I knew of Prince George at the time was one of my friends who I grew up with in, in St. John's had moved to Prince George and was working out here. And I saw this job ad for new medical school. They were looking for generalist physiologists to, to join. And I was like, well, that sounds really interesting. Oh, the job ad closes tomorrow. Oh, I my. Sh- so I, I sort of sent an email along and uh, some calls came back and uh, I had a conversation with the new dean at that time which was uh, which was Dave Snadden and uh, we had a great conversation and uh, Dave said well I, th- I think you've applied and I said well I guess so and uh, <laughs> it was kind of the, just like that so I sent off all my materials to UMBC I came out in December of 2003 uh, fell in love with the with the campus and the and the community and uh, did my interview and went back to to Connecticut and then Jan- I still remember January 5th uh, <laughs> Dave called me and uh, it's one of those awkward moments where you're like, I don't know quite what to say uh, for that sort of an icebreaker conversation. So we talked about the weather and I was telling him <laughs> about the weather was going on in Connecticut and he was telling me what was happening here in Prince George. And then he said, would, would you like to come out? And I said, I would love to come out. And with that, uh, myself, uh, my wife and two kids packed up and we arrived in, in June of 2004 and I started uh, UMBC in July of 2004. Wow. But those funny forks yeah. in the road, things happen. Hmm. That, that is interesting. So what was the weather on that Jan- here in Prince George on that January 5th? Dave said it was snowy and cold. Snowy and cold. Okay. Because <laughs> I was thinking, well, maybe it was one of those, you know, January thaws where it was like plus five. And <laughs> but Prince George was great. We came, I came just out with myself and uh, my friend uh, was here. We, we did a little tour of the city and uh, yeah, it was great. And then we came out in April to look for a house, uh, did a, a couple of loops of the city, picked the house up in the heart, and have been there ever since. Well, well, 
that, that, that just brings you up a few notches in my esteem. <laughs> Anybody from the heart. <laughs> I, I live out in Salmon Valley, so. <laughs> um, wow. Okay. So you've, you've been here then a long time already. 18 years. Yeah. So what are sort of, um, Let's let's start with like what are you seeing? I mean, I I know that you're new, but you have been an interim president for two years. Two years, yes. So you, it's not like you're totally new. Um, what are some of the future plans that you've got for the university, or what you know, yeah. together with everyone else? It's been an interesting two years before taking on the role uh, formally. Uh, you know, I started in on Feb- February 21st, and then March 11th, COVID hit. So it has been a very interesting two years in in the interim position. In terms of where where things are going, it's I, it's a very exciting time at, at UMBC. Um, we've launched. The, the five new faculty, so a new way of our academic structures at UMBC. Um, we're, Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, so UMBC bef- uh, used to have this two-college structure, so all the all the, the sort of the, the programs were in one of two colleges. And um, over the last number of Which years... Was- Business and science? No, it was uh, there was science and engineering and sort of arts and health sciences. So you could kind of okay. bucket them that way. And through our discussions over the, the process was probably four to five years, there was this sort of desire to sort of have smaller faculties, so rather than two, move to five, um, and more opportunities for collaborations, interdisciplinarity, working together. And so the five new faculties were launched last April, and they're really getting going now and, and having their discussions um, with in terms of UMBC we're, we're going to start a, a renewal of our strategic plan and in terms of where the next five to ten years of the university sets up um, coming out of COVID a reconnection to community uh, I think that's one of the things we've that we've lost uh, coming coming through COVID um, the provincial government has launched a funding review for, for post-secondary institutions such as UMBC, so that's very exciting. And really thinking about, you know, where UMBC fits within within Prince George, where it fits within northern BC, where it fits within BC, Canada, and globally. And, you know, for, for a university... Uh, such as ours, it's, that is quite small. Um, I always say we punch well above our weight in yes. terms of research and academics and, and globally recognition. And this past year in Canada, we were, uh, with the McLean's rankings, we're ranked number one again. Uh, haven't been there for, for a couple of years, but we were usually at the, the sort of the, the top um, couple. And in uh, globally, we're top 4% for small universities. So we're known out there, which is yeah. great. So that's that's exciting. Yeah, and that's um, something just that what you said about, um, you know, you're a small university. So one one question that I have then is, um, do you anticipate that the university will grow in enrollment? Um, I know that School District 57 numbers have been fairly stable the last few years after some years of decline. Um, so what do you see for the future in terms of enrollment numbers? Yeah, when you think about enrollment at a university, there's, there's the undergrad, and then there's the graduate, and then... Uh, you could move those into domestic, so being from Canada, and then there's your international students that are, that are coming in as well. Uh, over the last couple of years, our, our domestic undergrad uh, has dropped a little bit for a variety of reasons, COVID being one, for sure. But, you know, just I think, you know, um, 
just students having choices and, you know, um, thinking about where they want to go to school. So we've had a little drop in, in domestic en- enrollment. Graduate, on the other hand, has increased, and that uh, speaks uh, in large part to our research activities at, at UMBC and students wanting to come and work with faculty on uh, on. Okay, and for the uneducated like me, graduate, the undergraduate means the people coming in from... Right from well, not necessarily right from high school, but they haven't had a degree yet. Okay. So when you come in at the undergrad level, you could get a bachelor's of arts or a bachelor's of science. Okay, and that's usually four years. That's an undergrad. That's an undergrad. So when you finish that, then you can, if you so desire, you could go on to graduate school, and that can get a master's degree. Okay, and then if you want to even go further than the master's you can do your phd your doctoral work and right. so a master's can anywhere from two to three years doctoral can be four to six depending on what program you pick and how how quick things move along so at the undergraduate level declining a little bit at the graduate level increasing hmm. uh, and then international students were pretty stable we're about 200 to 250 international students. In terms of where I see the future going, I, I do see uh, an opportunity for UMBC to grow. Uh, we've talked with Cindy Heitman, uh, that's just school district 57, the superintendent there, about opportunities uh, for, you know, for uh, students coming out of high school, going to university. Um, but I'd like us to shift the conversation to just rather than talk about enrollment which is just numbers to talk about the student experience and i think that's what's really important with the five new faculties that i mentioned and and the new program offerings like engineering and things along those lines if we focus on providing a great experience and great opportunities for our students the numbers will take care of themselves and students will want to come Hmm. okay well that makes a lot of sense to me um so steve should we take a break and we'll be back after these messages the Prince George Community Foundation is hosting a Prince George Live for Ukraine presented by Canadian Tire. The event takes place at the end of the North on May 7th from 6 to 9 and includes food, entertainment from the Method Dance Society, silent auction, and more. Money raised will support the Foundation's Ukraine Humanitarian Support Fund and help Ukraine residents coming to Prince George. Attire is elegant. For more information and tickets, visit the events page at pgcf.ca. College of New Caledonia Community and Continuing Education has the training you need to pivot in your career. Go beyond the basics, build up your strength, and become familiar with more advanced features in Excel with Microsoft 365 Excel Next Level Online Boot Camp. This two-evening camp runs May 4th and 5th from 6 to 9 at a cost of $149 plus fees and textbooks. Contact Community and Continuing Education at CNC for more information. Registration deadline is April 27th. The Memorial Memorial for All Victims of War is being held Sunday at 3 in St. Michael and All Angels Church. This interfaith multicultural event is being hosted by the Center for Peace and Reconciliation. There will be prayer, music, song, and dance remembering all those who are victims of war. The Memorial for All Victims of War, 3 o'clock Sunday at St. Michael and All Angels Church, the corner of 5th and Victoria. Don't miss the upcoming Vantage Points virtual workshop, Advanced Governance, Strategic and Generative Conversations. Vantage Points' Maria Turnbull will dive into incorporating generative and strategic conversations into your board culture, tools to work towards consensus decision-making, and transforming the impact of your board conversations. Advanced Governance, Strategic and Generative Conversations, Tuesday, April 26th, from 5.30 to 8.30 via Zoom. Registration and full details are available through the calendar link under training at thevantagepoint.ca. 
keeping you up to date on current news and events in and around Prince George. This is After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back. Uh, Trudy Clausen here talking with Jeff Payne, UNBC president. Uh, Jeff, you were just talking because I had asked you sort of about enrollment and, and, you know, the future of enrollment. And you were saying that experience is actually a better um, measurement or th- goal to aim at? Absolutely. I mean, when, when you just talk about enrollment, whether you want 3,000 students or 4,000 students or 5,000 students, to me that's just a number. But if we focus on the experience and the expectations when s- students have a lot of choice where they want to go to school. So they have expectations when they choose UMBC in terms of the program that we're going to offer to them. It sets them up for a f- from a foundational perspective to go on to whatever they want for their next part of their journey. And uh, I think if we can continually focus on that experience, that wraparound experience, so it's not about just in the classroom, it's also, you know, the experience of being at a university. It's about the other experiences outside of the classroom, research opportunities, connecting with faculty, those types of things, extracurricular. I think if we focus on that, then the students will will want to be a part of UMBC because that wraparound experience sets them up for success. We used to talk a lot about, you know, UMBC as a destination university, and you hear a lot of universities talk about that, come to our institute, we're the destination. I actually think it's different. It's come, and then you get to go to whatever destination you want to go to next. So I think there's multiple destinations for all of our students, and that's what uh, that's what I want us to, to focus on uh, going forward. Hmm. Okay. Well, one of the things that I was, when you were talking about come and be experienced and connect with the community, uh, it occurred to me, I mean, you've got a huge project that is you're not the head of, but is happening or hope, hope to happen with David Douglas Botanical Society. Um, so can you talk from the university's perspective a little bit about the benefit to the university, the benefit to the community, and to the students? Absolutely. You know, when you think about a university, and I'll, I'll, I'll sort of dovetail that into COVID, one of the things that absolutely struck me through COVID, I mean, we're a university you know, we talk about education, we talk about research, you know, the, the things that everybody thinks about when they think about a university. But what was lost during COVID was that sort of social connection, yeah. connection internally. It wasn't just your job. It was your friends that you were missing because you weren't able to walk the halls. And so that community connection, and I spoke a lot about UMBC as a community uh, during COVID. And when you think about, you know, the David Douglas Society and the Botanical Garden that we have there and the phase two that we're working on right now with them, a university needs to be a hub. It needs to be a place of where not only students and and the sort of the the, the staff come and, and be part of the university, but also the community comes to the university to be part of it. And I think, you know, the the David Douglas Garden that's up there now is a prime example where people are coming from from all over Prince George and, and surrounding communities to to see the garden, to connect with the garden, connect with the university that has the garden, works with with the David Douglas Society. And I think those important sort of connection points to community are so valuable, so experiential for, for our community. So they're great. So is the uh, is the uh, David Douglas Botanical Society, like, is that going to be part of, or will there be research happening there in conjunction? Can you, I mean, I know it's not quite, you're in, you know, your sphere maybe, but I mean, can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. So with the, with the David Douglas Society, uh, they have now. They have a board. Yeah, because like for me, I'm looking at it and going, okay, what's the connection to the university? Like, 
that that's sort of where I'm coming from. It's like, okay, why there and why at the university? I could think of a, a number of different areas. One will be academics. Obviously, we have programs that could utilize the garden as an educational setting. Okay. Um, biology, botany, those types of things. So it, it can be a sort of a, a classroom for all intents and purposes out there. The other thing that from, from research perspectives, there's individual faculty members and programs that, that utilize the garden uh, as a research area or those types of, of entities. The other thing that the garden provides, and people do research in a, academics around sort of well-being and, and, and sort of the, the health aspect of it. Um, we've, we're using the, the garden. I know there's, there's a talk about doing studies around accessibility, and the garden is an example of how you have an accessible uh, aspect on your campus. So I know there's some research going there. So there's a number of different avenues, and I really love that, that connection of academics and research back in the community because truly when you think about the value of a university, it's – it's taking what happens within the four walls and bringing it out into society and society interacting with the university. That's the real, that ecosystem, for lack of a better word, is so amazing where, where things happen. <laughs> well, and I dare step into this. <laughs> I'm just thinking about the editorial in our local paper this week that, uh, but I, I mean, uh, not, and not dwelling on that, but I mean, I think the whole, idea is is that i mean it we're really we are all i mean is the is it the right word to say we are all together in a symbiotic relationship the university couldn't exist without uh many things and our modern form of living couldn't exist without the university i, I couldn't agree with you more you know i think universities do a great job of going hey look at us look what we've done and I think we need to shift that to what can we do for you, for society? And, you know, the, the, the notion the, of the discussion we just had around the David Douglas Society does have that, that, that sort of essence of, you know, connecting back into community and really, you know, recognizing, you know, particularly for UMBC where we came from. I mean, we were a university that was literally born out of a community's will to have a university in the north. And I think as we think of just, you know, UMBC, not only here in Prince George, but our other campuses, I see, you know, the university as a connection back into community, education as a pathway for northern community sustainability, uh, for not just a career, but a life, you know, those types of things. And again, that comes back to being connected to community, not we're the university that sits on the hill and <laughs> there's a big, large wall around us, which is not. But you know what I mean? Yes. There, there is that sense sometimes. And I think we need to, to break that down, demystify it and connect with community. I remember when the university was being built, I thought it was very unfortunate, the choice of location, because it, it had all the wrong connotations for someone who was, you know, lower class, middle class, maybe. Um, and, you know, coming from an uneducated background, it just seemed too trope. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm glad that you're trying to work down, uh, break down those barriers, because, uh, yeah, because it's important, because, I mean, it's, the, we want I mean, I think we've we've come out of many years of, of increasing silo, siloization, and we really do need to break those down because of the, I mean, I think it, it creates too many opportunities for division and, and for those people who would benefit by dividing us, right? Agreed, agreed. I see a UMBC, and I've said this in a, in a number of different venues before, you know, I, I see UMBC as a third-generation university. So first-generation universities were all about academics. You go back hundreds of years ago where it was, a, you know, you go to university and you could do philosophy, medicine, you, you run the gamut. 
And then research became part of the university sort of system, and that's the second-generation university. The third-generation university is all about engagement, engagement to community. And I think that's where UMBC really plays uh, and can play a special place where it's not just about, as you said, the university that sits on a hill kind of thing with that cannot be accessed. I think we lose things when, when we set ourselves up that way. All right. It is time for a break. We'll be back talking with Jeff Payne. Vantage Point is transforming not-for-profit leadership with a host of downloadable resources. Make your board time count. Use the Better Use of Board Time tool as a conversation starter to reflect on what makes the best use of your board's time and identify potential changes to your board meeting agenda or calendar. This valuable download is available free through the Downloadable Resources page under Media at thevantagepoint.ca. Downloadable resources for your not-for-profit organization. Another way Vantage Point is transforming not-for-profit leadership. Engage your board and align their work with organizational values and vision with Vantage Point's board fundamentals, roles, and responsibilities. A highly effective and engaged board has clarity around roles and responsibilities and aligns their work and performance with organizational values and vision. Registration, cost, and full details are available through the calendar link under training at thevantagepoint.ca. Board fundamentals, roles, and responsibilities, May 31st from 530 to 830 through thevantagepoint.ca. The Prince George Potters Guild is pleased to be adding a single evening class to its schedule, Try It Nights. Join the Guild for a two-hour session led by a skilled instructor who will help you explore the basics of throwing on a potter's wheel. The next Try It Night is May 11th from 7 to 9 with Natalie Breckus. Cost is $50 and includes clay, glaze, and firing for one bowl. Visit the PG Potters Guild classes link under programs at studio2880.com today so you don't miss out. Forecast from Environment Canada. Mainly cloudy today. A 40% chance of flurries this morning. Clearing this afternoon. Wind up to 15K and a high of 10. Clear tonight. More wind and a low of minus 4. For Friday, sunny, becoming a mix of sun and cloud late in the morning. Winds continuing. A high of 12 with a morning wind chill to minus 5. It's after 9 on Prince George's Community Station. 93.1 CFIS-FM. We're back with Jeff Payne, president of UNBC. Jeff, you were, during the break, you were just telling me a little bit about stu- uh, community engagement with the university and how the, commu- the university had started with 16,000 people uh, paying $5 each into a fund that was the seed money for the university. Yeah, it was the impetus, the sort of, uh, I think it was a, a symbolic sort of gesture from the community that says, you know, this university creation is so important for us as as a northern um, northern suite of communities, not just Prince George, um, that we're willing to put money on the table. And what is and there were sixteen thousand. And for folks that have not been up to UMBC's campus here in Prince George, um, there's a wonderful plaque that sort of um, is by the Winter Garden outside, and you can really see uh, you can see all the names of people that have, have for don- five dollars for five dollars. Wow! And you see a lot of legacy in there that people. I, I take people on tours, and they'll say, you know, that was my grandfather or grandmother, or you know, other members of my family, and now I've benefited from that because their commitment vision for a university in the north that came to fruition and they've now had the benefit of attending UMBC and graduating from UMBC. What's really exciting this year, and and I said this during the the search um, for the president search when I was applying for the position, you know, the title of my talk was Building Upon a Community's Vision. And this year, and will only happen once, we will have 
16,000 graduates from UMBC to match the 16,000 that, that put the $5 on the table. And I think that's that will only happen once, as I said, j- during the break. And that's such a momentous sort of statement, a validation of phase one, shall I say, because the university is not going anywhere. But certainly to go back and say, you know what, your $5 allowed 16,000 people to, to graduate from this institution. And that's to me is very powerful. That's when we we talked earlier, Trudy, about the connection to community. That is the most powerful connection to community, right? Because you were talking about the plaque, yeah. And so, tell us a little bit about that and where people can find it and maybe find their grandma's name. Yeah. So, if you go to campus and you're the agora, right up above the agora, sort of, if you're looking, if you go up on the upper tier of where the agora is, and you're looking downtown Prince George turn behind and you will see the plaque there's five sort of large silver plaques there with just rows and rows of people's names and people do they come and they'll look and because it's done up by community and so you can sort of find your community and and find relatives or people that you know that have that were part of that donation and um you know, people, when I, you know, travel around, you know, in the region, people talk about there's such a passion and commitment for UMBC. You know, there's a sense of, you know, what are you doing? You know, um, we're, we're so proud of you, but we're holding you accountable as well. You know, mm-hmm. so there is that expectation to deliver on that community's vision. And um, and I think, you know, the fact that this year 16,000 graduates from UMBC really does show that, that, uh, that accountability uh, back to where we started well and that's that uh, raises an interesting thought here in my head is that you know that accountability is probably part of the reason like in that accountability of having 16,000 people put five dollars in it means basically you have 16,000 people going okay what are you gonna what are you gonna do right and i would suspect that that would be part of the accountability process right which would make you do as best you could and absolutely and aspire to to you know to be the best university that we can to to meet the expectations of our students to showcase the outstanding community of of staff and faculty that we have that are so committed to to umbc and the students and um and their passion is amazing when i was doing office hours when i started as interim president i was hosting these these 20 minute office hours where people would we were calling because we were covid and they would would they, we would just book them for, for 20 minutes um, and they'd have a topic area that they wanted to talk about. But what was really interesting uh, during those, I did that for nine months and I've just restarted them again. People would say, this is what frustrates me. This is what excites me. But inside of that was, I want nothing but the best for UMBC and we're doing great things and I want to be a part of that. And so, you know, building on that passion, that accountability, that, that commitment, that energy is, is, is so, so inspiring. Yet you, there's a responsibility that goes along with that. You don't take it for granted and you always have to be looking forward and making sure that you were, you're doing right by everybody that's connected to the institution, both up on the hill and outside, so to speak. <laughs> yes. Um, so just uh, maybe shifting a little bit, I mean, you just had a new engineering program yep. announced, right? Uh, one th- question that I had, um, and I know 
well, engineering is different. Well, what's the focus of the engineering program? Let's ask that first. Yeah, there's a number of different streams that you could do with engineering, you know, mechanical, civil, chemical, environmental. So previously we had a, a joint program. Uh, we still have a joint program with the University of British Columbia for environmental. And then when we embarked upon this uh, this sort of new program, engineering, which again came from community passion and interest yes. about having a program <laughs> I, like that. Albert Kohler. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, now an honorary degree recipient from UMBC. Uh, you know, that that sort of, you know, where would we have our first sort of foray? And, and uh, so we picked mechanical. And uh, yeah, so we've got students in there. And the, the, what's really important is, you know, taking their education in, in, in engineering and then being able to translate that out into a career in the community because that's what Albert and others were saying is there was such a demand out there that we need to make sure. So it's really exciting to have an engineering program. So, which is interesting, uh, like the careers out in the community. One thing that um, a uh, um, someone that I know in the mining community here or an investor in the mining community says is that we're, we're, we're a little bit stuck. We haven't really had inv- advancements in um, mining technology or processes, um, like extraction processes, for 30, 40 years. Do you see that? Is that an area that you're, go- that you're going to be looking at? or Yeah. Because that's think, research, right? Well, it's research, and it's also the evolution of the programming that we offer at, at UMBC. And I, one of the things that I've heard in sort of, you know, talking to people, going around is, they want to make sure that, you know, that students can kind of go through with their academic program, the theory side of things, and match that with experience so that when they finish, they've got both and they can hit the ground running. And so the, the mining example that you give, that they're, they don't just have the theory about what it is to be in that industry, they also have the practical experience. And so marrying those two together, I think, is where we need to go. It's You've heard of co-op education. Yes. I, I see it more of co-op 2.0 or experiential learning and really marrying the theory with the practical experience so students can can join the workforce very very quickly all right okay we are going to be back for our last segment after this vantage point is transforming not-for-profit leadership with a host of downloadable resources check out their circles of support tool creating your circles of support is a valuable way of identifying stakeholders with this tool you can pinpoint which community groups clients volunteers and other stakeholders are most important to your organization's current and future success this valuable download is available through the downloadable resources page under media at thevantagepoint.ca downloadable resources for your not-for-profit organization another way Vantage Point is transforming not-for-profit leadership. College of New Caledonia Community and Continuing Education has the training you need to pivot in your career. If you want to better handle difficult conversations and achieve positive outcomes, you'll appreciate management skills for supervisors, interpersonal communications, and conflict resolution. This comprehensive online course runs Monday and Wednesday evenings from 6.30 to 9.30, May 16th to June 5th. Contact Community and Continuing Education at CNC for more information. Registration deadline is May 9th. Amplify your organization with Vantage Point's Advocacy 101. Learn how to create change when you don't have the resources or authority to make the change yourself. In this three-hour workshop, you'll clarify your advocacy goals, develop an advocacy strategy, and build confidence to engage your community in advocacy work. Registration and more details are available through the events calendar at vantagepoint.ca. The Vantage Point's Advocacy 101 workshop, 9 till noon, Thursday, June 23rd, via Zoom. 
Your Prince George Public Library is proud to be a part of Hear Our Words, a storytelling showcase. Open to Northern BC Indigenous youth aged 5 to 29, this year's story submissions must be related to the theme Honoring Elders. Prizes will be awarded in five categories, short story, poetry, music or song, visual art, and performance art. Entry submission forms and full details are available at weavingwords.org. Here are words, a storytelling showcase. Submission deadline is May 13th. Featuring the people who make things happen in Prince George, you're listening to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. All right, back with Jeff Payne, president of UNBC. Um, so we were just talking a little bit about, um, you know, community connectedness and, and, and industry coming in and, and you know, meeting those needs that our local economy needs and and we know that mining is huge in that um is is how where where are this where are the graduates um like what's the where are students going after they leave unbc i'm sure you keep some measure of we do uh what's really interesting about 65 percent of our graduates stay in northern british columbia which was and that was the goal that was the goal yeah um and so they're they're taking you know their their education their experiences that they've had at umbc and, and translating that into a career and you know a majority are staying in northern british columbia that said some are going Globally, mm-hmm. I mean, we have students, alumni, um, in in you know in Hong Kong, in Singapore, in you know in Scandinavian countries. So we have them all over. And so, just because they don't stay in Northern British Columbia doesn't mean that wasn't a success. I'll, I'll give you an example with the Northern Medical Program, which mm-hmm. we talked about earlier when I, when I first came to UMBC. The goal was to train physicians in the North for the North, and it's done a fantastic job. This afternoon, I'm obviously attending this year's uh, Northern Medical Program celebration of their graduates. But somebody said to me, well, if they don't stay in Northern British Columbia and they become a surgeon, in uh, thoracic surgeon in downtown Toronto, well, that must be a failure to you. Absolutely not, because they've come up in the environment of being trained in Northern British Columbia, and they'd be able to take that experience and translate that into their career in downtown Toronto and actually be transformative there. So our graduates, you know, by the experience they're having here, are staying in Northern BC and, and transforming industry here, and we're hearing from industry, as we talked about during the break, where they're saying... We need the next generation of highly qualified personnel. That's your students. And, you know, how can we interact better with your your university and your students so they can come to us? And we're doing that. We're creating those connection points. But we're also uh, ensuring that our students meeting the expectations they have can go on wherever and transform industries and, and careers wherever they may choose next, which mm-hmm. is which is exciting. Yeah. You feel like a proud parent sometimes. <laughs> you, know, you see them all go off and, and you hear from them, you know. That's uh, probably got to be the most gratifying thing, it right? It is, yeah. yeah. And I've got students that have come through, you know, and have done research with me and I now see them off being, you know, a faculty member at another institution or something like that. And that's, that's a, it's a proud moment for sure. It's, you know, for me, Personally, you know, um, I, I just want to make sure that we're meeting the expectations of what the students need, that we have the right structure supports, curriculum, programs, opportunities, that they can come, have that experience and go on. So what do you think for the future of education? Do you think you're going to see more... Um I mean, we've come through two years of, 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 of the pandemic and a lot of, I, I know I have a few friends who are professors and who just found, especially the, in the medical sciences field, it was just crazy trying to put those courses into an online format. Do you see, do you foresee that there will be more 
uh, that we'll be continuing and maybe not tossing aside all the online uh, content. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, I think you, when when we did that pivot in three days, yes. <laughs> uh, there was a pain point for sure, because uh, not everything translates well into the online environment. And But that was where we had it to be because of COVID. And over the past two years, I think we've learned a lot. And there's certain things that will never remain in the online space. We talk about experiential learning, experiential opportunities. That's UMBC's strength, and we cannot move away from that. We have to have that. But there are also opportunities to blend in uh, opportunities that are online, um, you know, where you can... Well, I'm thinking particularly of students that are further in oh, yeah. more remote communities, right? So that they would have to come less. Come to less, us. for sure. So we definitely want to, and I'll, I'll, I'll come to that point in a second, but there's definitely things that we've learned through COVID that we can do things online just as well and even better. And we won't, we don't want to lose that. I call that the lemonade out of the lemons of COVID. Your point about students, you know, out in s- smaller communities and things like that, what was really interesting when students left COVID, they went back to their home communities. Weeks later, we saw them showing up in the hallways at the university and we're like, why are you back? We have no Wi-Fi in our home community. We cannot connect to the hmm. university. And so we've been having conversations with government about ensuring that, because government has said to us, well, we want access to all students, uh, you know, in wherever they are in the province. And we're like, great. There's no infrastructure that supports that right now. So you need to help us so we can help you, so we can help the students in these smaller communities. And so we're definitely working with government and industry about new ways of, of connecting, you know, communities um, so that wherever you are, whether you're in Hazleton or you're in, I don't know, somewhere else in the world, Fort Nelson, Fort Nelson or even beyond, yes. that there's an opportunity to connect with the university because we, we want to be able to do that. So we'll, we're definitely looking at uh, new ways of of, of of doing business, so to speak. And the landscape of higher education has definitely changed coming out of COVID. Because mm-hmm. one thing I was thinking of, one thing that keeps often people um, out of pursuing a degree after leaving school when, when they're young is, is just the time commitment. And, you know, maybe they have families and they've got work. I mean, they have to work. Um, do you see any more flexibility coming that way? I do see more flexibility that way. And, and you know, we've talked about uh, students that haven't quite finished that have got, you know, got into you, life, so to speak, as you've said, and finding ways for them to, to connect back. And sometimes it's it's hard to to be physically on the campuses that we have. And, you know, I say, oh, I, I can't make it to to Prince George or Quinnell or Terrors. Like or for, especially for three months, right? For three or months. four months. Yeah. So we need to find ways of, of being able to, to access those students. The other thing is we need to look at some of our course offerings. To You know, does everything have to be 13 weeks? Could we do things in a condensed period? Are there other sort of credentials that we can put around uh, that are in addition to what we currently offer? There's been a, the buzzword now in education is micro-credentials. Uh, so it's kind of this wraparound stuff. So I have my degree and I have these other things of micro-credentialing. And so I think there's ways for us to sort of increase the reach and breadth to access people that you've just talked about to, to provide those experiences and opportunities so people can continue to um, uh, add to their toolbox, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting that you said that about micro-credentialing because I someone was telling me that uh, like they had only finished grade nine growing up and they decide, they looked at the jobs that were available and um, looked at the requirements for those jobs and thought, well, I'll just, you know what, I'll just take those classes that I need for that job. And that's how they got into it. Yeah. And that's, yeah. The other thing that we're seeing is as we talked about transforming industries, you talked about the mining industry industry that hasn't really evolved in a number of years. 
bringing those workers to to UMBC and and adding different skills so they can go back to their the industry that which they are in and transform that way. Not coming back and just doing not coming to UMBC and just doing a degree. There's other other things that we can add, as you said. Yes, because I mean, for the person coming in and, and taking that time away from their family, taking away that earning time, they have to be able to. Um, I mean, one thing that would be attractive to them is to be able to then go and improve their industry. Yeah. What's the value add for them in doing yes. this? Absolutely. Because it's it's often, I mean, we we're, we don't just live by, by you know, the income or, you know, that kind of potential. It's like there's also the value in improving things. Absolutely. Okay. Well, I think we've managed to fill up our time here <laughs> uh, because I was unprepared. I was the one who had missed that. Uh, but so thank you very much, Jeff, for coming in. My pleasure. And wish you all the very best. Thanks very much. After 9 is a daily presentation of CFIS-FM. After 9 is produced by Alan Wishart, Echo Wiley, Trudy Clausen, and Rez Krebs. Executive producer is Reg Fair with technical assistance from Stephen Smith. Additional contributors include CBC News and the National Campus and Community Radio Association. Theme music is by The Ebbs. For a rebroadcast of today's program, check out the podcast link at cfisfm.ca. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email cfisfm at yahoo.ca. Owned and operated by the Prince George Community Radio Society, you're listening to CFIS-FM Prince George, a not-for-profit community radio station broadcasting